0: Well, church, this morning already, there have been a, a couple of you who have said, "Hey, Christmas Eve was such a great evening, wasn't it?" So good, good to be together, and um, it was such sort of a magical kind of time. It felt like to me. I told Dean on the way home, it felt like a Christmas, like Hallmark movie, like from my vantage point. The only thing that was missing was me kissing her, like in front of all of you and everyone clapping or something. You know, it was such a great moment. Would you love that, babe? I know. So it would. It was. Um, it was a great evening, you know. And um, and on Christmas Eve, we talked about a few things about the nature and character of God. We said that God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. That God's accessible. That he's opened himself to us, he's invited us to himself. And we also said that God is faithful. He always keeps his promises. And you know, um, the Christmas story tells us a little bit about the promises of God and we see Jesus born and then we see him grow and we see him live and we see him die and we see him rise and at the end of Luke's gospel account in chapter 24, he says, behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus says there is a promise that the God is, the father is sending. It's going to be his spirit. You're going to need to wait in Jerusalem. Luke's account of the life of Jesus is, kind of Luke and Acts. It's a dual account, kind of two books that go pretty much exactly together. Some say one book just broken in two by us. And at the beginning of the book of Acts in chapter one, we read in verse four and five, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me from John. John baptized you with water, but you... We'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The promise is the Spirit of God coming to us and to be upon us and to dwell in us, Jesus told his disciples. That is the promise that Jesus is referring to. Luke actually mentions the Holy Spirit 15 times in his gospel account. In your Bibles it might say the Acts of the Apostles. I think it would be more accurate if it said, The acts of the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit, something like that. That's how much the Holy Spirit is involved in, present in the writing of Luke. Fifteen times in his gospel account, listen, six of them are right here in the birth narrative. Between chapters 1 and 2, you have six of those 15, which tells us the Holy Spirit is all involved in the birth of Jesus. This morning, we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit of God, that God is with us by and through His Spirit. And we're going to jump around a bit in the birth narrative. So this won't be a typical morning where we take this passage and sort of walk verse by verse. We've already actually done that with this passage during this Advent season. I'm going to bounce around a bit in chapters 1 and 2 because that's what Luke does. He, he shows us the Holy Spirit in a number of different places. And as we do, we'll see three things, at least three things that... We can know about God being with us by his spirit. And the first one is this, that God is with us by his spirit to set us apart for him. To set us apart for him. Now, when you think about God being with us by his spirit, especially in this season like the one we're in, you may think about the idea that God is with us by his spirit to comfort us. And he is. Or that God is with us by his spirit to make his presence known to us in a season that's particularly difficult. When things are hard, we want him to know we're present. he's present with us, and he does that by his Spirit, and, and that is true as well. But God is also with us by his Spirit to set us apart for him to do things through our lives. And the reason we know that is whenever Luke uses the phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, or whenever Luke says in his Gospel account that the Holy Spirit was, quote, on someone, He always uses it to refer to this idea that they are being empowered by and directed by the Spirit of God for some task. They're being empowered by or directed by the Spirit of God for some job, for some calling, for some role. That's what it means. And we see this most obviously right in the case of Mary, that Mary is set apart by the Spirit of God for the work that he will do through her. And it's amazing work that he's going to do through Mary. We saw this actually in the passage we read in chapter one in verses 34 and 35 where it says the angel answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will, here it is, come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He's saying the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you to empower you, to enable you for this thing that I'm inviting you to do. Pretty big invitation. This is all God's doing. God sets us apart for himself, for these particular roles, these jobs, these responsibilities, these tasks. He invites us, and he's the one that does it. It's all him. We see it says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It will overshadow you. It's almost as if Luke is trying to say, this is all God. This is all his doing. You can't set yourself apart for God. God sets you apart for himself. That's how this begins. We also see this in the life of John. And I know sometimes we don't think much about John being involved in the birth narrative of Jesus, but he actually is. He's very important. And actually, Luke gives him a lot of airtime in chapter one. John set apart by God, by his spirit, to do what, what he has for him to do. Matter of fact, we see that John is set apart by God from the womb. It says in Luke 1:15, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And again, filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the mother's womb, meant to underscore this reality that this is all God. There's nothing John could have done to to do this for himself. This begins with God, set apart from the mother's womb. It was all God's doing. Because God had something very important for John to do, to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, Maybe, maybe you're thinking, okay, it's a little bit hard to relate to, um, to being set apart for God by, for something like, like Mary did for something like John did. I mean, I'm not, not going to give birth to the Son of God, and I'm, I'm not going to you know, know that my child is set apart for God from the womb based on some prophetic word. Like I, this is kind of hard to relate to, but maybe you can relate to another person in the Christmas narrative, and we referred to him already once during this month, but that's Simeon. Simeon was also set apart by God, and he seems to be, in in some ways, a bit more relatable to most of us. It says in chapter 2 of Luke's gospel in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit, here it is again, was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him as well. Now, the setting apart... Of, of God, for the work of God, his part is always undeniable and it, it always begins with him. His part is obvious, he does the setting apart. But we have a part to play in this as well. And I think we still see it illustrated in, in very clear terms in Simeon's life and in these two verses. It says that he was righteous, he was devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And if you're jotting down little notes on your tablet or your journal, or if you're too tired for that because of all the Christmas weekend, they're easy to remember. Here they are, right? Living a righteous life before God, devoted to the things of God, and expecting God to invite us into something. And I think this is a very clear and very simple summary of the posture of any person who would want to be invited by God into the things that God has for them, that they would be people that are living righteous lives. Now, we know that we're only made righteous by the blood of Jesus and our faith and our hope and our trust in him, but we can live increasingly righteous lives. We can live lives that, that reflect something of more and more of what, of what God wants for us. That's what it means to live a righteous life. Living righteous lives... Being devoted to God and the things of God, being devoted to scripture and prayer and gathering with his people and sharing our faith with other people and living out his things, obeying his commands because we love him, devoted to God. And then waiting for God's working and invitation in our life. And 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 I hope that you are living with a posture where you're waiting, you wanting God to invite you into something. That you are, by God's grace, living a righteous life before God. That you are devoted to him and going through the normal rhythms and routines of the Christian life that are life-giving to us. And I hope you are waiting. You're wanting God to invite you into something by his spirit. This is the posture. The question is, does our posture this morning, say something to God like, invite me into these things. I want to live a righteous life before you. I want to be devoted to you and the things of you. And I'm waiting for you to, I want you to invite me into these things. Maybe there's something that you're confident that the Holy Spirit of God has invited you into. As I look out at many of you, I I know your story, and I know this is true. I, I see Glenn and Judy Smith, and I know God has invited them in to serve children in South Africa that are in the greatest need. I saw Evie Nicholson recently, and I know that God has invited Evie to serve college students. That's what she does. That's what she knows God has invited her into. The heirs aren't here. They're usually sitting over there with the Garens. But but JT heirs, I know, God has called him to help kids be fast and to be godly. He wants to train them to be fast and to be godly. And I know he pours his entire life into that, and you can see it. I see Pam and Jaren sing, and I know that God's inviting them in, into foster care and uh, uh, fostering children. And I know that's probably because they've walked with the herrings for so long, that know that God has invited them into that. And as I describe these families, I know you know them, and I know you know that they know that they know that, they know that God's invited them into these things by his Spirit. He set them apart for these purposes. even though we have these examples, maybe you might be saying something like, Matt, look, you know, it's been a while since I've been in, visited and spoken to by an angel, you know, so it hasn't been that clear to me. And, um, you know, I didn't have that unique experience of knowing from the womb that I was set apart by God, like John, <laughs> you know, so, uh, so how would I know that I know that I know that God's invited me into something? How would I know that the Spirit of God is inviting me into something, that he's setting me apart for some work for him. And I think that's the second thing we see in these vignettes in the gospel of Luke this morning is that God is with us by spirit to speak to us. That God wants to speak to us about the things that he's inviting us into. You know, it's interesting in the life of Simeon, I think the character we can, most of us can relate to, it says in Luke chapter two, verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It had been revealed to him. Now, we don't know how it had been revealed to him, but this word revealed literally means to make public or to advise in a public manner. Basically, God was making Simeon like his, his PR manager for Jerusalem for that, that time and that place. He was setting him apart. He was making a public declaration to Simeon of what he wanted to do. And he wanted Simeon to make a public declaration to everyone else. He was on God's PR team, for lack of a better term. And isn't it interesting that we are in the exact same place? That God has disclosed to us. He's, he's made known to us what he wants to do and what he has done in and through the, the person of Jesus Christ. And he invites us to disclose that to other people. (laughs) We are, in a sense, his PR managers in some kind of way. We get to disclose these things in winsome ways to other people. We're not told exactly how Simeon heard this, how it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. But I think that the the Gospel of Luke, it, it reminds us of at least five ways that God invites all of us to hear from him. And we see these five ways in the Bible We talk about them all the time together. I think we see them actually in the birth narrative of Jesus. The first one is through Scripture. I mean, in Luke's account of the the Christmas story, Scripture is laced throughout, throughout the prophetic words of Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary. Let me just give you one example from Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, verse 50, where it says, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, we don't know for sure, but But likely it is that Mary's quoting Psalm 89.1, which says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever, and with my mouth I will make him known, your faithfulness to all generations. Mary was evidently the kind of girl who spent time in Scripture. She was evidently the kind of girl that spent so much time in Scripture that she had it on her mind, so that on the spur of the (laughs) moment— as the Spirit of God is speaking to her and empowering her, she writes a song to God that includes Scripture because she knows it. It just comes out of her life. We know as Christians, having not only the Gospel accounts, but the letters now from letters like Second Timothy, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching and reproof and for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped, what, for every good work, that God's invited us into something, and he's likely gonna invite us in through scripture. And he's gonna equip us for what we need to do through his scriptures. You might have experienced this in, in some particular special time or place. I've often told you about the story that, that I know I was called to, to come into pastor the village church when I was sitting in front of Hume Lake and I was in Titus chapter one. And, and I know my calling to this church is grounded in that scripture. You may have a certain thing you know God's called you into and it's grounded in a special place and time When you've opened up the Bible, more than likely, God's probably just going to call you in to things in your normal, everyday, ordinary routines of Scripture. And I can tell you that God's continued to call me and invite me into these things over and over again through the daily Scripture reading plan that many of you read along with me and a lot of us. God invited me into things, and he confirmed things he was inviting me into just through my daily times in Scripture. But God invites us into these things as we pray as well. We see that when it says in Luke 1, 10 through 11 of Zechariah and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. I mean, we know that Zechariah and Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna and Mary and all of these characters that are involved in the birth narrative of Jesus, we know that they were devout people. Which means in this context that they observed, listen to me, regular times of prayer. They observe daily and regular times of prayer. And we see God moving and we see God speaking in and through these regular hours of prayer. And again, you may have something important going on in your life where you may be wondering, what is God inviting me into? So you may decide, you know what? I'm going to block off four hours. Or I'm going to take the day off and I'm going to go to the beach or I'm going to drive up to a local retreat center and I'm just going to sit before God and I'm going to pray and, I, I wanna, and ask God, what are you inviting me into and, and, and go do that. That is a wonderful opportunity. But I'd bet you that God will likely invite you into these things in your daily rhythms of prayer. That's how God is at work in the lives of his people here. But he's also speaking to other believers. You remember when Mary comes to to Elizabeth and, and they talk about what's going on and Elizabeth says this, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, Holy Spirit's honor for something. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You know, sometimes there are other believers that are in Scripture, and they're in prayer, and they're doing these regular hours and rhythms of prayer, and they're reading the Bible, and, and their lives are infused with Scripture, and, and they're saturated in prayer. And then when they meet up with you, and you have a conversation with them. They might affirm something to you that you know God's inviting you into because God's at work in their life. The Holy Spirit is on them like he was on Elizabeth. And, and we, we get affirmations of these things. We have this internal sense of calling. God's inviting me into something. And sometimes this external confirmation comes from God's people. We hear God through his people. It's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. Now look, I'm going to mention two other things very briefly, and I want to remind you that Luke is a historical theologian. I want to remind you that Luke is writing about history, not a fairy tale, not mythology. Because Luke also says that God can speak through angels. It says, the angel appeared to him and said, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring to you this good news. And I've heard a number of stories of Christians that believe they've been, they have encountered angels or that angels have been present with them in various times and seasons. And I don't have the time I could tell you one story in my own life where I believe I experienced this. Luke also says that God speaks through visions. In Luke 1, we see this where it says the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering about his delay in the temple, and they came out, and he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. God can speak in supernatural ways. In a sense, isn't it all supernatural? That God, who's outside of us, above us, beyond us, infinite, would speak to us? I mean, that all seems, it all seems pretty incredible. <laughs> it all seems pretty miraculous, doesn't it? Whatever it is, here's the point, listen to me. He wants to speak to us. I think Luke is including all these things to say he wants to speak to us. He wants to tell us. He wants to say, I'm setting you apart for myself, and I'm setting you apart for this thing. He wants to say it. He wants to say it through Scripture and through prayer and through other believers. He may want to say it through an angel or a vision. He wants to tell us. I think the question is, are we listening? Again, we don't know exactly how Simeon heard, but we we know that Simeon did hear. Are you open to God speaking to you? Are you ready? Are you doing your best by God's grace to live a righteous life before God, to be devoted to him and the things of him? And then are you waiting? Are you expecting, like Simeon was, God to invite you into something? You know, we also see two different reactions to this idea. This idea that God wants to set us apart for something for himself, something specific. And that God wants to speak to us about it. You might be sitting here thinking, okay, God wants to speak to me about something specific he wants for me, apart from just living my life and doing my job and raising my children and dedicating to follow Jesus and all that stuff is wonderful. Is that, maybe that's what it is. Is there something else? Is there something specific that God wants for me? There are some of you that are sitting here going, like, I'm not sure. And I would understand that because we see that in the life of Zechariah who was a priest, he was a godly man. He was a devout person. He had followed God with much of his life. But when God placed this like big thing in front of him, that he was gonna have a son who was gonna be the pre-runner to the Messiah, he said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And Gabriel basically tells him, well, you, know, you should have believed this, but because you did not believe my words, which will be filled in their due time. You're going to be unable to speak. You're going to be mute until the day that your son is born. I mean, Zechariah was a guy that believed God for a lot of things in his life. But when this thing got placed in front of him, he was like, wait, 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 wait. And he had a measure of unbelief. You know, maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit of God is trying to invite you into through prayer and through the Word and through Scripture and things, but there's a measure of unbelief. Maybe you've walked with God and you believe God for certain things, but there's this thing, and it feels big. Maybe not as big as having the pre-runner to the Messiah, but, you know, it feels big. And you're kind of going, ah, I don't know about that. You know, I'm not sure about that one. I thought about Pastor Aaron this week because he, he posted on Instagram a picture of his flip-flops in, in, uh, wherever he is, Vermont, and, and I say wherever he is, because it's like in the middle of nowhere, you know, and he, like, took a picture of his flip-flops, and he's like, I said I wanted to make it in my rainbows until Thanksgiving, but I made it to Christmas, like, a warm front came, and it was 50 degrees, that was the warm front, you know, and so he snapped a picture of his his flip-flops, and it's like, I was thinking about Aaron, thinking, you know, Aaron has been involved in the life of the church for so long, but a little over a year ago, God put something in front of him. It was like, I want you to go pastor a church in rural Vermont where a lot of people don't follow Jesus, and it's really, really cold, right? So like that, that and, and, and he's there. Like, is there something that God is putting in front of you that, that you may be tempted to go like, ah, I, I don't know, you know? We see some unbelief in Zechariah, but we see, we see some belief in Mary. The angel said to Mary, and Mary said to the angel after hearing from the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. The child will be born, will be called holy, the son of God. And Mary said in verse 38, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Zechariah said, how shall I know this? There's some doubt in him. Mary says, listen, how shall this be? How will this be? Mary knows that it's going to be. She's just asking clarity, how are you going to do it? Zechariah is kind of like, I'm not sure that can happen. Mary's like, okay, well, how is this going to happen? And if you sense God's inviting you into something, maybe even in this new year, after a really hard year, and it's something specific, you could react like Zechariah and say, like, ah, I don't know, that, that's probably not going to happen. Or, or maybe, by God's grace, and I'm asking you to respond like Mary, to believe God, like, yeah, that can, that's going to happen. And maybe your question now is, well, how is that going to happen? Maybe that's the next thing. Maybe God will tell you like he told Mary, well, this is how it's going to work. <laughs> and God will speak to you. How will you react to this idea that God wants to speak to you and invite you into something, do some work in and through you? You know, the good news for you is if you even have if you have a measure of unbelief, if you're one of those people like Zechariah who's like, oh, I don't know, that seems really big and kind of scary. The good news is that God, God's patient with us. You know, Zechariah is mute for a while, <laughs> a number of months. But we see in chapter one, verses 62 to 64. Doesn't that sound like a long chapter? Verse 62 to 64, that's a long chapter in the Bible. It's a long story. It says, and they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. You use the family name. He should be called Zechariah. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, why John, right? No, Zechariah's like, no, 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 it's John. Because he believed at that point. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke and he blessed God. I think the idea here is you can respond in faith now or you can respond in faith later. The good news is that God will be patient with you. Hey, listen, as we close our time in Scripture this morning, um, one more thing. God is with us by Spirit to save us. This is the ultimate setting apart. God is with us by His Spirit to save us. He does set us apart for himself to to do something in us and to do something through us. And he wants to speak to us about specific things that he has for each of us to be involved in. But that begins with him setting us apart for himself in the first place, him calling us to himself, him saving us. In chapter one of Luke it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. In Matthew's account, it's recorded this way. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. And the way that that salvation is initiated is by the Holy Spirit of God. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian or if you're watching online and you're not yet a Christian and, and you're wondering, like, well, I, how would God invite me into something? I don't even know who God is. I don't even know how I have a relationship with God yet. I don't even know how all this works. And, and, but maybe you have a desire. Maybe you have a longing to, to know God and to be involved in the things that he's doing. This is where it begins. It begins with the Holy Spirit of God stirring something in you, doing something that you can't do for yourselves. If you're a Christian, you know when this moment was for you. Theologians call this idea regeneration, the idea that God takes a heart that's hard toward him and he makes it soft like clay or Play-Doh and he he makes it soft and moldable and he invites us into relationship with himself. He helps us to see that, that Jesus was the Son of God come to live a perfect, sinless life on our behalf, die on the cross and in our place and for our sins and be raised to give us a life we could never have otherwise, and that when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in him to forgive our sin and to free us to live a life of in relationship with God and on mission with him and the things that he's inviting us into, that our, our whole life changes. We're regenerated. We're changed. The Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor named Titus, about this idea with the people he was pastoring, and in chapter three it says, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, we can't earn this, but according to his own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That he is inviting us to himself, setting us apart for himself, washing us, cleansing us by his blood, inviting us into relationship with himself, renewing our hearts and our minds. And I think that's the good news this morning is that God is with us by his spirit to save us, to speak to us, and to send us in the work that he has for us. And this morning, I hope that is really, really good news for you. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you that you are with us. And that over this whole month, we've seen that you are with us. You are with us in history and you are with us the lowly of us. Lord, you're with the lowest of us and you're with us in our lowest moments. You said you were gonna be with us. You talked about all these things. You promised them hundreds of years before you came. We thank you that this morning, we, we consider your promise of your Holy Spirit. You're faithful to, to give us your spirit, to, to call us to yourself, to regenerate and change our hearts to invite us into relationship with you, to speak to us about what you want to do in us and through us and and to set us apart for those things. Lord, we're so glad that you've invited us into the things you're doing. We can't imagine living our lives any other way. We thank you, you. We love you. And so we respond to you. We sing to you now. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen.